We're going to be in verses 19 through 30 today. Uh, Someone told me that today is National Ice Cream Day. Have you heard that? I feel like every day it's a national something day. And uh, so like we need another excuse to think about ice cream, right? But here's what I was thinking about as I was sitting there. You know, I talked about Sunday school and God's Word has already been taught and you have been discussing God's Word and thinking about God's Word. And then we come in here and we get to lift our voices together. We get to sing. Uh, we get to, to listen to these instruments. These, these praise team members get to play those instruments. And now we get to dig into God's Word. It's like an ice cream sundae, right? It's all so good. I mean, the ice cream is good, the whip topping is good, the cherry on top, you might even drizzle it with some chocolate syrup, and man, we go to town on them, on them Sundays, don't we? We do. And I'm so thankful that we're a church that loves God's Word, loves to worship, and, and I just believe we are getting the best of what God has for us when we open up His Word, and that's what we're going to see today. I, I believe we're going to see some ingredients today that really make the church stand out in the world. As a matter of fact, we're going to focus on three ingredients, three characteristics, three traits, if you will, that the church needs to model and embrace in their community. And that is evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. I love Pastor Chuck Swindoll. And Pastor Chuck Swindoll He wrote this in one of his books. He said, our challenge today is to stay up with our time, to serve our generation, yet in no way alter the truth of God's Word. Styles and methods will change, and they must be kept up to date. God's truth, however, is timeless, and it is not subject to change. We are to be willing to leave our familiar without disturbing our essentials. I love that. He said to minister effectively, the church must wake up to what changes and stay aware of what does not change. The church that sits around frowning at its future, doing a little more than polishing yesterday's apples, will become a church lacking in relevance and spiritual excitement in the community. At the same time, The church that softens its stand theologically and alters Scripture to fit the future style will lose its spiritual power. What an awesome word by Brother Chuck Swindoll. I mean, he nailed it. As a church, we have to understand the community in which we live. We have to look out there and listen. It's like Brother Andy prayed and already told us in worship. Uh, We don't have to like what's going on. We don't have to like the bad things that are going on in our world, but we're still called to love. We're still called to love. We love God, and by loving God, we love people. And by loving people, we show people that we love God. And so the Word never changes. But our styles and our methods, they're going to have to change. If we really want to reach the world in which we live in, we've got to understand and we've got to stay up to date with the speed, right, of our world. And man, is it fast or what? Somebody told me when you turn 40, it goes really fast. And somebody told me when you turn 50, just look out. And I have done both now and y'all were right. Y'all were right. So I want to talk about evangelism. I want to talk about discipleship. I want to talk about ministry because I really do believe that these three words, right, they should be marks 
that identify our church. Really, they should be marks that identify any and every church that claims the name of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see in Scripture today is that God will do amazing things, incredible things, to and through the church that engages, that exercises evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. And we get to see a church that did that in the Bible, in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at the church at Antioch. What a great example of a church for us to view. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Antioch, okay? I'm going to tell you about the church, but let me tell you about where that church was planted. Let me tell you about where that church was formed. It was formed in the city of Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. So think about that. All that Rome conquered, every land, Antioch was the third largest city. Most theologians tell us that it had at least 500,000 people living within its city walls. It was located 300 miles north of Jerusalem in what is uh, known today as Turkey. It's our southeastern portion of Turkey. It was a very idolatrous city. As a matter of fact, theologians tell us that many, many people in Antioch worshiped the Greek gods like Zeus, Apollos, Poseidon, and other Greek gods. And so it's so awesome, right? It's so awesome to see what God can do when his word is proclaimed. Amen? God can do anything, anywhere with his people that proclaim his word. And we get to see that in this very idolatrous, very wicked city of Antioch. Man, the church comes alive and the church makes its mark on that city. And the church does that through evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. So let's look at it together. We're going to begin in this first passage, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. The Bible says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, if we stopped right there, how sad would that be? Because there were only a few Jews in these places. There were a lot of Greeks, a lot of Gentiles, if you will. But thank God there's a verse 20. Because look at what verse 20 says. It says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. And look at this. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. That's what they went there to do. They went there to tell others the good news. And the good news is that God loves you. And God has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live, to die, and to rise up from the grave to defeat sin and death. And if you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will live forever with God. That's some good news, amen? And let me tell you something. That's what Brother Chuck Swindoll was talking about. That message don't change. It has never changed. That message is as true today as it was in Antioch when these men were preaching it. And that message won't ever change. There is good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Let me tell you what this is. This is evangelism. The church at Antioch was marked by evangelism. Brother Jeff, what is evangelism? Let me make it real simple. Evangelism is telling other people about Jesus. That's what evangelism is. 
It's telling other people about Jesus, both with your words and with your actions. Verse 19, when you look at it, it actually sounds a lot like Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And then here we are in Acts chapter 11, and guess what they're doing? They're still doing that. They're preaching the word. They're telling people about Jesus. Verse 19 reminds us that even though the followers of Jesus were scattered, they still had a mission and they still had a message. Amen? Wherever they went, they were to tell others about Jesus. Now, what we see in this passage, especially in verse 19, is that some of these Hellenistic Jews who had been scattered, they found it very comfortable and very familiar to talk to other Jews. And so listen, I I don't want to say anything bad about them. I don't want to say anything negative about them because at least they are telling other people about Jesus. It's just they were more comfortable with Jews, right? But thank God there were some there who said, you know what, we're going to leave our comfortable and we're going to leave our familiar and we're going to go get uncomfortable and we're going to go into these unfamiliar places and we're going to get get alongside of these unfamiliar faces and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to tell them about Jesus. That's a good word. That's evangelism. And so I'm so thankful for these ones from Cyprus and Phoenicia who went to Antioch. And I'm so thankful for those words in verse 20 that says they told them the good news about Jesus Christ. They had a message and they had a mission. And they they did it. That's evangelism. The message was the same even though the methods and maybe the place had changed. But the Lord's hand was with them. Because don't you love verse 21? A great number of people, look at it, a great number of people were evangelized. And they believed and they turned to the Lord. That's an awesome, awesome word. That's what evangelism is all about. You might say, well, Brother Jeff, um, is evangelism salvation? No, evangelism is just telling people about Jesus. You leave the salvation to God. Look, you can get burned out and you can get discouraged if you tell people, tell people, tell people, and you don't get to lead someone to the Lord. Listen to me. Maybe that's someone else's job. Maybe that's someone coming behind you that gets to reap the benefit of you being obedient and just telling the message. Salvation is a part of evangelism, but don't miss this, right? Evangelism is just you doing your part, and that's telling people about Jesus. And if it's time for them to be saved, and if it's God's will for them to be saved, they will. And so I'm begging you, don't get burned out with evangelism. Don't stop telling people about Jesus just because you're not seeing the results the way you want and when you want. Man, if we did that, we'd all quit, wouldn't we? We'd all quit. So you keep telling people about Jesus, that's what they were doing. And I'm going to tell you, that's one of the most important identifying marks of the church is evangelism. Telling people about Jesus. Telling them the good news, and it is good news. God loved me even though I was a sinner. God demonstrated his love for me in this, that even while I was a sinner, Christ still died for me. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That's good news. So where there was evangelism, there was also an opportunity for discipleship. Because the Bible said that there were those who believed and turned to the Lord. Well, now that they believed and turned to the Lord, they needed to be taught. And so watch this, beginning in verse 22. It says, news of this, what God was doing in Antioch. It reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. Do you see that? Not what Brother Jeff did. Not what this team or that team did. What did he see? He saw what the grace of God did. Be careful to take credit on things you shouldn't be taking credit for. Barnabas saw what the grace of God had done, and he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Verse 24 reminds us what we've already been reminded of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's very important. And then look what God kept doing. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. So a great number of people were brought to the Lord before Barnabas ever got there. He, he was encouraged and became an encourager. And guess what God kept doing? He kept saving people. A great number of people were saved. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Ooh, here we go. Here comes old Saul. And we're going to see him a lot from this point forward in the book of Acts. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church and, look, taught. They taught. That is discipleship. They taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so not only was the church at Antioch marked by evangelism, now the church at Antioch was being marked by discipleship. The church in Jerusalem heard what was going on, and so they said, Barnabas... Go find out. Go find out if this is real. Go find out what God is doing. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. He immediately realized that this was God's grace. This was God's grace being poured out in Antioch. It was making a difference in people's lives. And so Barnabas was, listen, his name means great encourager, right? But what we see here is that he is both encouraged by God and what God is doing in Antioch, and he immediately begins to encourage the body of believers. He wanted them to stay true to the Lord, and he realized in order for them to stay true to the Lord, to stay in one with the Lord, their hearts directed to the Lord, they needed help. They needed teaching. They needed discipleship. And so we see, right, that it wasn't just evangelism that was happening, it was discipleship that was happening. And what did old Barnabas do? He said, man, i got to find Saul. Because Barnabas had seen what the grace of God did in Saul's life, and he knew that Saul would be a good companion, one who could come in and help him. And so he went and grabbed old Saul, Saul came with him, and that started the discipleship in Antioch. And how long, did it, how long do we know that it lasted here? It says a whole year. Right? A whole year. And that's what discipleship is, right? It's not me just telling you about Jesus and saying, here's the Bible, now read it, and then walking off. No, it's about me being invested in you day after day, making sure that what you are reading you understand, making sure that you have accountability and encouragement. Because guess what happens in this world? We get discouraged, don't we? And if we don't have someone to encourage us, we're very likely to do what? Quit. Quit on God. Quit on a spouse. Quit on a family. Quit on a job. Discipleship is all about encouragement. It's all about accountability. And it's all about instruction. They taught. They taught. 
they taught the people the word of God. And what does it say? It says a great number of people were taught and became what? Disciples. They were taught and became disciples. So here's what I love about true discipleship. Here's what true discipleship is. It's a born-again, saved believer in God who is learning God's Word, who is exhibiting God's Spirit, God's wisdom, and God's grace, pouring it into another. Listen, disciples make disciples. If you want to know, Brother Jeff, am I a disciple? Well, here it is. If you're a disciple, then you're discipling someone else because disciples make disciples. Let's think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and tell and do what? Baptize and do what? Teach them what I've said. In other words, disciple. Disciples make disciples. And that's what's happening at the church of Antioch. Notice that they were not recognized as Jews or Gentiles. Did you see that? What did it say? It said they were marked as Christians. All of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, it don't matter in Antioch, does it? Whether you're a Hellenistic Jew or whether you're a Greek, right? Or a Roman, it doesn't matter anymore. If you're a born-again believer, you're a child of God. You're a Christ follower. You're a Christian. Do you know that that term Christian was actually first used in a derogatory way? It was non-Christians. It was non-believers who actually used the term Christian, and they did it, right? They did it to to be mean-spirited. It was actually used as an ugly term. But guess what happened here? They said, call us what we are. Call us what we are. We are Christ followers. We are little Christs. They embraced it. I'm so thankful, right? We see evangelism and we see discipleship. And let me just tell you something. Where there is evangelism and where there is discipleship, there will be ministry. So let's look at this. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. The Bible says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. People ask me all the time, why does it say people came down from Jerusalem to Antioch? Didn't you tell me that Antioch was located 300 miles north of Jerusalem? Yes, I did. you got to understand, their terminology, they don't use up and down the way we do, right? I don't say up there in Oak Ridge uh, or down there in Alto the way they do. See, for us, it's location. But for Jews, it was about elevation. It was about elevation. So don't be confused by that that verse, right? During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. In other words, they left a high place and went to a low place called Antioch. And it says, one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And Luke lets us know this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help. Do you see that? Decided, they made a conscious decision to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So not only was the church at Antioch marked by evangelism, not only was it marked by discipleship, now we see that it was marked by ministry. Where there is evangelism, there should be uh, discipleship. And where there is discipleship, there should be action known as ministry. 
And that's what we see. Merriam-Webster actually defines the word minister, the verb form of ministry, as giving aid or serving others who have need. That's pretty good. I, I'm so thankful when I get to you know, open up Merriam-Webster and they actually line up with what the Bible means. I like that. It's not always, but I am thankful when it does. So here's what we got to figure out. We don't really know, right? We don't really know if Agabus was sent by the church because it doesn't say the church sent Agabus. We just know that's where he was from, right? But what we do know is that the Spirit of God was all over him and that this prediction he made wasn't just some guy off the street going, I predict there's going to be a famine here in a few years. No, this was the Spirit of God leading him to say that. And he led him to Antioch. Think about that for a minute. He led him to Antioch to say this, to tell the people at Antioch, the church that God's grace was being poured out on, where salvation was happening, where evangelism and discipleship was happening, all of a sudden Agabus shows up. And he says, the Spirit of God has told me to tell you that there will be a famine on the land. And what is important, right, is that this famine would spread all over the entire Roman world. Do you see that? A severe famine will spread over the entire Roman world. What that means is not just you, Antioch, but also over in Judea, right? Anywhere the Romans are, a famine will happen. Now, we know that Claudius' reign was around 44 to 46 A.D. Most theologians say that the great famine happened in that year, 46 A.D. So how did the church of Antioch respond to Agabus, a man they had never seen? How did they respond to the prediction that he made? Well, notice what it says. It says they provided help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. All of a sudden, guess what happened? They didn't look around and go, oh, we better store up stuff for us. We better get ready for us. We better take care of us. Do you see that anywhere in that passage? I don't. What I see is that they had their eyes open to other people. And not just other people in their city, but people in Judea. And so notice that the church in Jerusalem didn't ask for help. It wasn't like they sent Agabus and said, hey, tell them we need them. We don't see that in Scripture, so we can't just assume that. I'll tell you what we see is we see the church in Antioch initiate, initiate the ministry. And let me tell you why they initiated the ministry. Because they were bathing in God's grace. Evangelism was taking place. They were bathing in discipleship. Disciples were making disciples. And when evangelism and discipleship is embraced by the church, ministry will flow from that church. And it will be ministry to anyone, anywhere. Each believer, this is what the Bible tells us, each disciple gave according to one's own ability to give. But in the end, what did they do? They put it all together, and it was a gift from their church. It was not just ministry of one, it was ministry of all, the church. I love Dr. David Jeremiah. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, This is so good. He says Antioch was the mission church. But Antioch took up the offering to send back to the mama church, Jerusalem, as means of help in a time of famine that hadn't even happened yet. Almost immediately, 
The fledgling congregation in Antioch was captivated by compassion and revealed a genuineness of their faith. They were motivated by compassion. Does that sound like somebody else in the Bible? Do you know how many times the Bible says, just go read the book of Mark alone, but go read all the Gospels. Do you know how many times the Bible says Jesus looked at them and felt compassion? That's one of the most identifying marks of Jesus Christ is his compassion. And was Jesus discriminatory with his compassion? Did he only look on Jews and say, man, I'm compassionate for them? No, he looked on anyone who was hurting and had need And the Bible says he felt compassion, compassion, compassion. Do you want to know a mark, a mark of your faith, the genuineness of your faith? It's compassion. Instead of looking at somebody going, well, he or she's getting what he deserved, what she deserved, it's like, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to show God's grace? What can I do to show God's love? What can I do to show God's mercy to this person? to these people who are hurting, regardless of location, regardless of circumstances. See, ministry, I believe, flows from hearts full of compassion, full of generosity. Evangelism is people being told the good news about Jesus Christ. Salvation can come and should come through evangelism. Discipleship is people being taught the Word of God by believers who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And ministry, I love this, ministry is people moved by God to move on behalf of others. That's what ministry is. And I love this because what we see in the church of Antioch is God's amazing grace. That's what we see. Barnabas, isn't that what he saw? He looked at them and said, man, God's grace, God's grace. And that's what we see in Antioch. It's God's amazing grace transforming lives. But not just that, it's putting them together. It's unifying them as a body of believers. And what are they doing? They're glorifying God. That's what they're doing. They're bringing glory and honor to God. And that's what the church is all about. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You know, a lot of times when I think about the letters of Paul to the churches, it's hard for me not to go back to Acts and go, man, Paul saw that. Paul saw that. He, Paul lived that out. So listen to what, this, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 and 9. He said, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Don't you love that? Paul says you excel in all of these things, but hey, make sure you excel in the grace of giving. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What an awesome word. 
I, I believe Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, which was challenged, we've learned about that in the last you know, year when we studied those letters. They were challenged both internally and externally. I believe Paul, when he was talking about that, that excelling in your faith, excelling in your speech, excelling in your love, but make sure you excel in grace-giving, right? Grace-giving. Grace means it's not deserved. Grace means it's not earned. Think about that, right? When God pours His grace out on me, it's not because I'm a preacher. It's not because I'm a Sunday school member. It's not because I got baptized in the church, local church. It's not because I've witnessed to a, a hundred people, you know, over the course of my life. No, grace is God giving to me what I don't deserve. What I, what I can't and have not earned. And so Paul tells the church, make sure you excel in grace giving. In other words, see people the way God sees people. And love people the way God loves people. Don't be discriminatory. Don't don't just hang out with what's familiar and comfortable. Man, get out of the familiar and get out of the comfortable because there's a whole lot of people out there that won't be familiar and that you might not be comfortable with. But the same Jesus that saved you is a Jesus who can and will save them. The same spirit that dwells in you is the same spirit that can and will dwell in them through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. So if we want to be a church that glorifies God, a church that is engaged with God and engaged in our community, we better be identified by the community as a church that values and embraces evangelism that values and embraces discipleship, that values and embraces ministry. I'm telling you, when you look at the church of Antioch, was, it, was the church of Antioch perfect? No, it wasn't perfect. But man, the church of Antioch was getting something right. And we need more churches today in our world getting something right, and that is telling people the good news about Jesus Christ. Not how comfortable our pew is or how many buildings we got, Right? Not, not, not telling people about all the different activities and events we have. I'm not saying those are bad things, but if we're focused on the things and not the Word, we're in trouble. Because them things is going to fall apart. And them things ain't going to satisfy for long. They're not going to satisfy for long. I was telling... I think I was talking to Brother Barry the other day, Brother Barry Collins. I said, man, I ain't touched my golf club since the last time we had a church golf, men's golf trip. And I, I love my golf clubs. I mean, I, I love them. I paid money for them, and I, I love the game of golf. But you know what? That, that, that taste right now is not as strong as my running. I like to run more, right? And so that's what I'm giving my attention to. And listen, a year from now, five years from now, I might not be running no more, right? Things change. Taste buds change. I eat things today that I didn't eat yesterday. Now, some things I still don't eat, like cheese and stuff like that. But anyway, but, but think about that. Think about that. Think about how things in your life have changed, right? Clothes you wear, cars you drive. I used to drive this brand. Now I drive this brand. I shopped at this store, but I don't shop at that store no more. I shop at this store. I, I mean, all of those things change. But I'm going to tell you. This never changes. The love of God never changes. The love of God demonstrated 
to sinners never changes. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It still is Jesus, and it'll always be Jesus. And so let's be a church, right? Let's be a church that embraces the truth of God's word, but is ready to go to the unfamiliar. And is ready to get uncomfortable to take that message that never changes, right? We have a message and we have a mission. Tell people about Jesus everywhere we go. Do whatever is necessary to make sure people know who Jesus is and to know that apart from Jesus, right, they will spend eternity in a place called hell. But in Jesus and through Jesus, we have the opportunity to bathe in God's grace and be forgiven and set free from the penalty and bondage of sin forever and ever. And we can spend eternity with God in a place called heaven. It's not by being a good person. It's not by being a church member. It's not by being a ministry team you know, representative or leader. It's, it's by being a Christ follower. And as a church, let's preach the truth of God's word. You, you'll never earn it. You'll never deserve it. But God will give it. Amen? Grace. God's amazing grace. He'll change your life. He'll transform your life, and he'll line you up with a brother and sister. He'll bring you together. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the church. And you can embrace that evangelism. You can embrace that discipleship, and you can embrace and exercise that ministry. It, it really is a cycle, you know? It really is a cycle. We, we're evangelized, we're discipled, we minister, and then we start all over. We go and evangelize, and we disciple, and we minister, and we evangelize, and we disciple, and we minister. That's what these men's retreats and women's retreats is all about. I went to a men's retreat meeting just this past week, one that I'm going to be a spiritual director over of. And I told them, I said, hey, guys, the main thing is Jesus. Jesus. Now, you... You, you can plan this thing and plan that thing and plan this thing and that thing, but we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus all day, every day, in everything we do because that's what it's all about. And after we talk about Jesus, we're going to let God do what God does. And if he wants to save a soul, he'll save a soul. And if he does save a soul and that soul confesses, we're going to plug that soul into a church. Why are we going to plug that soul into a church? Because that soul needs to be discipled. That, that, that salvation needs to become a disciple so that that disciple can become a minister. And it'll, he or she will be a minister of Jesus Christ. In other words, they'll evangelize. And guess what will happen? It'll start all over again. Isn't that cool? That's the vision God's given me for this church. To embrace evangelism first and foremost. To keep telling people about Jesus through anything and everything we do. To make sure they're plugged in. Sunday school, men's ministry, women's ministry, student ministry, children's ministry. So that they can be discipled. Small groups. Bible studies. As many and as often as we can have them. Digging into God's word. Discipleship. Why? So that we can make sure that they know who they are and whose they are and why they are. My job is to tell others about Jesus. My job is to minister to the community God's placed me in. The home, the school, the workplace. Evangelism, discipleship, ministry. I hope you don't get tired of me saying that because I'm going to say that for the foreseeable future. If God gives me a voice, you're going to hear me talk about evangelism, discipleship, and ministry from this point forward because that's the vision God's given, given us for this church. It all starts with Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? Have you personally said, 
I am guilty. I'm a sinner. God, I need you. And I believe that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the grave for me. I repent of my sin and put my faith and trust with him. If that's the case, you're a born-again believer. And you should embrace discipleship. And if you're in discipleship, you're going to learn real fast. Uh, God didn't call you to be a spectator, to sit around and watch. God called you to be a participant, to get in the game and get busy for his kingdom.